Welcome to it, and happy hump day to you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Derek Hunter. It is the 14th day of September 2022. It's Wednesday. It's a glorious halfway to the weekend day. It's really the only thing you can... It's Prince Spaghetti Day as well, if you're into carbs. I appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for what you do. I believe the iTunes issue has worked out. Yesterday's show showed up. Seemed like it showed up a little late, but it showed up without me having to send a message to anybody. So, uh, you know, it's got that going for it. Now I got to figure out who actually controls. Somebody at the Daily Caller still controls or is the person on the account. I swore they, they turned it over to me ages ago. But I said, you know, what's the deal with this? And the lady who's been helping me is super nice. I think it's a lady. I don't know why I think it's a lady, but I think their name was a lady. Anyway, um... What the person helping me was super nice at Apple, but they said they couldn't tell me, and that's kind of like crap. Now I got to try and figure out who the hell has control over this because they wouldn't tell me why this was happening, just that they'd fix it. And I'm like, I don't want to have to has- pester you every single day going, Hey, my podcast didn't post, it's my face, it's my name, it's my email address, Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com. I'm the one emailing you, I swear to God. I don't know how to prove more that it's me than it being me, but um, I had to go through and talk to Neil and figure out who the hell has control or whatever and get get it back again. My wife wants me to change the picture on iTunes, too. I like that picture of me. I look skinny in it, but uh, my wife hates it, and she's got the graphic that's at SoundCloud and everywhere else. She had that graphic made by a friend of hers. And so, like, oh, God, if I could just figure out. Sure, it looks more professional. And it is more professional because it was done by a professional, whereas I just took a picture of myself and put words over it because that's about as technologically advanced. I think I did it in Word and then did a screen capture of it. That's about as technologically advanced as I get. And I'm cool with that. I need my kids to get old enough so they can do all this computer crap. But we're probably a good decade away from that. Anyway, I hope it's working again. And uh, I don't have to deal with this ever again, or at least for a while. Anyway, lots to get to. We'll get to that. Just don't forget to support the program at uh, DerekHunter.Locals.com and Patreon.com slash DerekHunterPodcast. Billy Idol versus Brad Thor. thing is, I got like a ton of Brad Thor books. I was going through the boxes. I've got, I don't know, five to eight Brad Thor books, all first editions signed. From the, I had dinner or whatever with Brad once because he's a friend of a friend and I just bought all the copies of his books that I could get on Amazon that would show up on time like four bucks a piece so I'm like yeah yeah I'll take them and I showed up to this dinner with a bag full of books and he's probably sitting there going just trying to eat a steak man but he signed them all it was very nice and uh, that will uh, they'll end up on somebody's bookshelf out there that's all you got to do to enter Go and join the program. Appreciate everybody who does. And, uh, yeah, we're having maintenance issues at the house right now, which is a pain in the ass, which is even before the stupid emergency room bills show up from the uh, COVID excursions in Michigan. So any support is much appreciated. (laughs) Good Lord. When it rains, it pours, doesn't it? And yesterday, God, it rained like I haven't seen it rain 
like that in forever. It's like somebody was dumping a swimming pool on the house. I didn't get off. I was really tired, so I didn't get off the couch. But I could see it through the window. Laying there about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and like somebody's dumping an Olympic swimming pool on the, on the roof. Holy crap. Anyway, enough about weather and money and everything, and let's get started with the program. We've got a, a lot going on in the world today. Of course, there's a lot going on every single day. And you look at the news, and, I, and what's breaking today is the new inflation numbers are out. And you're really going to see some serious turd polishing. You're really going to see some amazing bit of spin, I suspect. I suspect the next couple of days will tell you. But it just, uh, the new inflation numbers are not good. They're not good. 8.3% in August. Now, the way this is going to, how do you... How do you spin that? When Joe Biden took office, it was like, I think it was 1.4% per month. How do you spin 8.3% when you're looking at uh, in having inherited 1.4%? Well, first of all, you have to recognize you're a Democrat and it's going to be okay. The media has your back, all right? Don't worry. They will come to your aid any and every way they possibly can. That's how it works. It's it's almost like it's their job. It's not their job. It's decidedly not their job, but uh, it's the antithesis of their job, actually. But that doesn't matter. It is what they'll do. It is what they do. They're very, very, very good dogs. Just make sure you have a nice supply of milk bones. But the way they'll spin it is, yes, August, 8.3% inflation. However, July was 8.5%, which means there's a drop. There's a drop in inflation, a decrease in inflation. We're on the right path. The trajectory is, that's so ridiculous. A 0.2%, two percentage points is nothing. 0.2 percentage points is a rounding error, if that. And it also doesn't account for the fact that you're looking at the fact that he inherited 1.4% inflation. That's the difference. This is of his own making. This is of Joe Biden's own making. And they're going to try to sit there and go, oh, geez, Uh, but it's on the right path. It's on the downward slope. No, it's not. 0.2%. If you think of it this way, if you got a 0.2% raise, would you be excited about it? Would you even notice it? A 0.2% raise. Used to be, you know, a 3% raise. A 3% was a cost of living adjustment. That was just it. All right, here's your cola. 3%. But a 0.2% raise, you wouldn't even notice. You'd be, unless you're making millions upon millions of dollars, it would be, you know, pennies per paycheck after taxes. Would you celebrate it? Would you call home and say, hey, Honey, get ready. Got the, the big raise today. Kicks in. We're going out to uh, the most expensive steakhouse in the city. We're going to celebrate that uh, that massive 0.2% raise. No, you wouldn't. If you got a 0.2% raise, you'd have to almost sit there and go, are they trying to tell me that it's you know I should find another job? Is that what they're trying to do? That, that would be the subtle message of you. you 
you're not long for the company. A 0.2% raise is we don't want to fire you, but we wouldn't really hate it all that much if you quit. That's what a 0.2% raise is. By the way, Daily Caller reports, uh, core prices, which measures all prices, less food and energy, remained elevated at 6.3%, slightly higher than July's 5.9%. So the other number went up, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. With core prices remaining strongly elevated, it is unlikely that the Federal Reserve will slow its rate of interest increase er, designed to combat inflation and will once again likely hike rates by 0.75% next week, according to the Wall Street Journal. So everything is up. Somehow how they calculate these things. I don't even think the people who calculate them understand how they calculate these things, honestly. They're like your taxes. You take your taxes to three different accounting firms and they'll come back with three different results. Which one is right? Yes. Which one is wrong? Absolutely. And you sit there and you go, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Nobody knows. Because you could turn in all three and then the IRS looks at them and goes, none of these are right. Or all of them are right. Or whatever. (laughs) Just sit there and you go, I don't. It's wildly complicated. The same goes for the way they calculate these things. But just know that when they calculate these things, they're doing so, it's like gambling with house money. When they calculate these things, they do so in the best possible light, regardless of the administration. The people calculating them, oh, they're removed from politics. But they can, if they don't like the president, they can screw them over. If they like the president, they can change the numbers to make them a little bit more favorable. And nobody looking at them would go, well, that's out of bounds because the government gets to control the unit of measure. The government gets to control and decide which goes into what. Now, these are career people, allegedly, non-political people, but the 8.3%, somewhere inflation is somewhere between 8 and 9%. That seems about right. It hasn't gone down. The left is cooing over the fact that gas prices have dropped. Gas prices have dropped for, I don't know, 50 straight days or what have you. And you're like, okay, great. You didn't really have anything to say about gas prices going up for that many straight days or more. But okay, you want to celebrate them coming down? That's wonderful. Let's also acknowledge that they are higher by 50% than when Joe Biden took office. Can we acknowledge that? Can we acknowledge it? I don't know if we're allowed to acknowledge that. These people won't allow you to acknowledge that. Once you control the unit of measure, you control everything. So what the media and what the White House and when Joe Biden comes out, Joe Biden will get a camera in his face at some point. He will come in and he will read prepared remarks that will be inflation fell. Inflation fell last month. And uh, that's good news. We're headed in the right direction. Just keep in mind that it fell 0.2 percentage points from 8.5% to 8.3%. That is not a fall. That is not a decrease. That is a calculation error that is a rounding error that is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. They're gonna, I want to play you uh, a clip of Rick Santelli. Remember Rick Santelli? He's over at uh, CNBC. He's the guy who sort of helped kick off the, uh, the Tea Party movement back in the day. He didn't do it politically. Rick Santelli is known for sort of going on these rants occasionally. And he talked about 
you know, the Tea Party and blah, 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 and we need to take back the government spending and blah, blah, blah. And people ran with it. And the Tea Party formed out of it. He, uh, upon hearing the news on inflation, pointed out about spending being the problem. Spending. Because it's not spending. It's not government dipping into its savings. It's government printing money. It's government printing money, creating money, which devalues the existing money. If you have one of something, it's incredibly rare and valuable, provided people want it. If you have two of something, they're rare and, and valuable, but not as rare as they were as a one of one. As a, as a sports card collector, I don't like the modern stuff. I don't really care for the, the new things. But if it was made in the early 80s to you know, the turn of the century back. I'm interested. I love that kind of stuff. But now they manufacture rarity. And people go, oh, it's a one of one. And they do it. It's the exact same card. It's just a different color. It's the same guy. It's the same card that, you know, they made millions of. And they stamped it in foil saying one of one. It's the only one that's this uh, gray color or this gold color or whatever. And you go, oh, that's exceedingly rare. It's not really rare. It's manufactured to be rare but people will pay a premium for those things because they're hard to get because there's only one of of each of them now if you found out that there were 500 ones of one or actually they do out of a one of one one of ten one of fifty one of a hundred and so on and so they they're manufacturing or trying to manufacture scarcity the further you get away from one of one the less valuable each individual card gets regardless of who it is Regardless of who it is, it doesn't matter if it's an all-star or a scrub. They make them of all of them because people get excited when they see, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a limited edition one. Yeah. Um, money's the same way. The more of it you have, the less valuable each individual one becomes. That's where we are as, a, uh, as monetary policy. The government, the Biden administration, has printed trillions of dollars. And then they run around, and Joe Biden said this yesterday, too. We've reduced the deficit by $1 trillion. We've reduced this year alone by $1 trillion. Yeah, you did. Congratulations, because last year you spent $2 trillion extra dollars, and this year you only spent $1 trillion, except for, Joe, they didn't update your software. You've actually then, with your student loan so-called forgiveness plan, blown through that uh, that trillion dollars in deficit reduction. So congratulations. You put it right back to where it was. And that's what Rick Santelli is talking about. And I did not forget about Rick Santelli because I think he, he puts this well. And he, the indignation in his voice is um, is important and telling. Listen to him. The thing that really bothers me with regard to inflation is everybody here on this panel agreed months ago that one of the reasons inflation was high was all the government spending. And after we agreed on that, what did the government do? They spent more student loans, uh, welfare in terms of the CHIPS Act. Seems like nothing is sinking in. These numbers aren't better than expected. And maybe they should be. And maybe ultimately they're going to start to go back up again because we continue to go back to that well of debt and spending. The gang, back to you. Yeah, there you go. We just keep spending and spending and spending. The idea that you can dig your way out of a hole. You can't dig your way out of a hole. But our government 
seems to th- it, it is of a two tra- dual track mind, as they say. We can dig our way out of this hole, and we're not in a hole at all. <laughs> That's that mentality. Look, we can just keep we can spend our way to prosperity, but we're not uh, we're not really spending our way uh, anywhere. Don't worry about it. We're not deficit spending, but we can deficit spend our way to prosperity. That's the idea behind. Half of what AOC rambles on about is, oh, we've got the money, we can do this. Don't say we can't afford this. We spent $400 billion a year on defense. We can, of course, afford to spend another $500 billion on the Green New Deal every year. If we can do that, well, you're insane. What they're really saying is what we need to do is eliminate the Pentagon, eliminate the military and take that money and spend it on priorities of the progressive left. Nobody ever calls them out on it. Nobody ever points them out on it. But that's really what they're saying as well. We don't need if we can afford to spend five hundred billion dollars on our defense, then we don't really need to worry because we can spend we can save that money and spend it somewhere else. You're not really saving that money. I don't I'd love to see these people's books. I'd love to see these people's checking accounts. And they look at not spending money that they already have to borrow or print to spend in the first place, not doing that as saving money. And then they use it to spend it someplace else. That was the gimmick behind Joe Biden's Build Back Better that became the Inflation Reduction Act that nobody's talking about. Hey, have you noticed the massive reduction in inflation thanks to that uh, trillion dollars in spending? Oh, we can just... uh, we can cut this, and then we can spend it. We can raise taxes on these things. And you go, know, well, the, the most um, the most wildly optimistic estimate on how much money you will raise by raising these taxes is, say, half a trillion dollars. That's the most wildly optimistic. That, of course, assumes that corporations will continue to operate exactly the way they are now or were before these new tax laws went into place. And I can assure you they will not. They will then take their accounting department and say, okay, well, the government wants is going to tax us if we do X, Y, and Z. What can we do to avoid that tax? How do we circumvent it? What do we do? And they'll find a way. They'll find a way because I guarantee you the people who wrote that bill want jobs in the private sector when they're done working for government and they go well all right i'll slip this in for you but you remember this in two years once i get my 20 in for government and i get that pension you remember this when i come to you and ask for a job oh yeah no 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 and they'll call it a loophole but it's in there by design and they'll drive a truck through it and suddenly the half a trillion dollars in new revenues that the government was going to reap from this is 200 billion dollars that doesn't mean that the government, which commit, because they'll go, we're going to raise $500 billion and then we're going to spend that $500 billion. The government doesn't go, oh, crap, we only raised $200 billion. We're going to have to adjust the spending to match the $200 billion. It's not how government works. Are you kidding me? That's for suckers like you and me. Government goes, oh, well, we'll just deficit spend the other $300 billion. We tried. Oopsie. Sorry. Happens all the time in government. Happens all the time in government. That's how it operates. So Joe Biden's sitting there going, We've, we cut the deficit by a trillion dollars. You increase the deficit by two trillion dollars. All right. You smacked your kid 
31 days last month. Now, this month, you only smacked them 30 days. Okay? You don't get credit for a uh, one-day reduction in smacking your kid around. Smacking your kid around is wrong. <laughs> All right? You don't get credit. I, I, uh, you should love me more, Junior. I only, I smacked you one day less this month. Yeah, but there were 31 days last month and only 30 days this month. It's not a real reduction. Shut up, kid, or I'll give you the back of my hand. That's how government works. That's how government treats us. That's government. That's the problem with government. Well, I tell you, looking at the White House Chief of Staff's Twitter feed, they're not yet trying to spin inflation. Because he'd be the one to do it. He always sends out the trial balloons. But they really are trying to take credit for gas prices going down. Gas prices are decreasing because gas sales had gone down. People weren't buying gas. People weren't driving as much. If you uh, you got a new iPhone coming out uh, this week, next week, something like that. Uh, I prefer the the bigger version. So uh, I'm not going to update, upgrade until they start giving them away. And I'll get the the big version. I got really big hands. And holding a little, holding my wife's iPhone is like, I don't know, a child's toy. It's so small. But uh, they're coming out. And if if they, uh, it's the same price as the last iPhone, which is, I think, the same price as the iPhone before that. And then they offer all these sorts of discounts. But they suddenly said it's it's five grand for an iPhone. It'd sell a lot fewer iPhones. Because people would go, well, I'm not paying five grand. My iPhone works perfectly well. I'd like to have the camera, better camera, or the better battery life, or whatever it is that motivates different people to buy an iPhone, but it's not worth five grand for it. So you have to find the market spot, the sweet spot for the price. And it seems to be like a thousand bucks or whatever. People will will pay that. And it's, it's, you sit there and you go, thousand bucks. Thousand bucks is nothing to sniff at. But let's be honest, you're carrying around in your pocket the computing power, more computing power than got astronauts to the freaking moon. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty sweet deal for a thousand bucks. Because I think that, um, I think NASA's budget was more than a thousand dollars back in uh, the 60s. I could be wrong about that. I wasn't alive then. But I suspect it was slightly more than a thousand bucks. That being said, Apple has to find the place where they can maximize their profits without cutting into their return. If you can sell 20 iPhones at 5,000 bucks, well, they go, well, that's not nothing to sniff at because it's nothing to sniff at. But if you're a massive trillion dollar corporation, and you're sitting there, you're going, uh, well, we could sell 1,000 of them at 5,000 bucks, but we could also sell 100,000 of them at $1,000. And you go, well, that's, that's a little bit better. That's a better deal. Of course, you have to factor in what it costs to make it. I don't know what it costs to make an iPhone. I can't imagine it's all that much now since they buy in such bulk quantities that most people, uh, it's, they're probably making a killing. That's beside the point a good product and it works so there you go gasoline is different you need to have a phone now or you feel naked you feel naked if you forget your phone in the car you forget the phone at home people will turn around and go i forgot my phone i gotta go back home but they've got a a a different situation with gas 
unless you absolutely have to drive, you don't. You go, well, I could go visit some friends this weekend, or I could go to wherever this weekend. It's a three-hour drive. That's going to cost like, I don't know, 100 bucks in gas. I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. You know what? It's not worth it. We'll just stay home. We'll, we'll, invite, we'll invite them over. Instead of going to see them, we'll invite them over to the house. And so what happens? Fewer people driving greater distances, which means less gasoline purchase, which means that the gasoline, the gas suppliers, the gas companies, the gas stations, they all go, well, we can't leave this gas sitting around forever. If it's not selling at five bucks a gallon, we'll start lowering the price, trying to entice people to come out and drive again. Gasoline is priced oddly. It's based on futures markets and things like that. It doesn't, it's not because the oil prices have not dropped because production is up. In fact, most of the oil producing world has either not increased prices, even when Joe Biden humiliatingly begged for them to do so, but they cut, some of them cut production. So it's not because of anything that the president did, except for it is because of what the president did. Now, what I mean by that is it's it's his incompetence. It's his incompetence. That's why gas prices are falling, a factor to him. It's because people have to choose. I can't go on that trip. I can't drive to that park. I can't do X, Y, or Z because I can't afford it. I cannot afford it because the cost of groceries are so much. So I wouldn't sit around and congratulate myself if I were this White House about the price of gas, especially when you're looking into heading into a winter where energy prices are expected to be exponentially higher and people will be damaged that way. Will we dodge that bullet? Boy, I hope so. It'd be nice to go to the grocery store and come out with going, you know what? I think I got a pretty good deal. It didn't cost me as much as I thought it was going to be. It'd be nice to do that, wouldn't it? Well, Joe Biden doesn't give a damn. He's advancing his agenda, and that's all he cares about, agenda uberalis, so on and so forth. You see you see how this stuff works. So keep that in mind as the left tries to tell you that uh, inflation is not that big of a deal. Inflation is going down. Inflation is being decreased. Inflation is not being decreased. Um, I'm looking at this, this Trump story now. There is something going on, and it sure as hell seems like a massive abuse of power, a massive major abuse of power by the Biden Justice Department. I'm hesitant to call it the Justice Department. It doesn't seem like there's any interest in justice at all. It seems like the Biden Vengeance Department. Get vengeance. Strike out at the uh, Trump cronies. That's what they love to call them. Trump cronies. Get them. And why? Well, they exist wrong. They're problematic. And uh, they want to find out if they've done anything wrong. Have they done anything wrong? You're not supposed to just be able to go and go on a fishing expedition. 
and decide we're going to look at everything you've ever done give us all your communications and we'll uh, we'll figure out whether or not you broke the law you have to have an allegation that the law was broken or a reason to suspect that the law was broken but not anymore not under Merrick Garland not under Joe Biden and in a lot of the stories you hear this weird passive voice from the left on these issues because the story is that uh, the justice department issued 40 new subpoenas to various trump associates demanding private messages demanding phone records demanding they want to know whether now there's not they don't know if these records exist they have no reason to suspect that they do other than they just want to they just they want to see is there anything is there anything out there would you feel comfortable with a government looking over your records? So the the uh, story, Maggie Haberman is one of four reporters who wrote this. Roughly 40 uh, subpoenas went out last week to people in and around Trump, and the phones of two 2020 advisors were seized. Based on what? Now notice the passive voice there. The subpoenas went out. Where did those subpoenas come? Did they just come from the subpoena ferry? Or did somebody go to a court? Somebody, uh, political appointees, go to a court and say, we need information on our political enemies. We need information on our political opponents, if you prefer that kind of language. And it didn't just happen. Merrick Garland opened his mail one day and he goes, holy cow, there's 40 subpoenas here. Where did those come from? Oh, well. I guess Lady Justice uh, decided in the night to put the scale down and fill out some, some requests for some subpoenas. No, you can't be, it's not passive. It's the Biden Justice Department. But that's never the way it's framed, especially not in the headlines. New York Times story, Justice Department officials have seized the phones of two top advisors to former President Donald J. Trump and blanketed his aides with about 40 subpoenas in a substantial escalation of the investigation into his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. People familiar with the inquiry said on Monday. It's amazing how they just keep, nobody's doing it. Nobody's responsible, but somebody keeps leaking this stuff, huh? The seizures of phones, coupled with a widening effort to obtain information from those around Trump after the 2020 election, represent some of the most aggressive steps the department has taken thus far in its criminal investigation into the actions that led to the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. Assault on the Capitol. If they wanted to destroy the Capitol, the Capitol would have been destroyed. You know, I'm just just throwing it out there were there some jerks in the group attacking and fighting with police absolutely but there were so many people there that if the objective was to destroy the united states capitol the united states capitol would have been destroyed the brits did it they managed to do it with muskets the uh if this armed insurrection mob had really wanted to destroy the the uh, capitol they could have done it a couple of fires no fires were set a whole bunch of smashing, a couple of explosive devices. There were no explosive devices. All of the things, all of the tools that you would one would use if you were trying to overthrow or destroy something didn't happen. And overthrowing a building or taking control of a building doesn't mean anything, by the way. Just saying. 
when idiot leftists take over the president's office of some university, University of Berkeley or whatever, wherever it is, they don't then start, you know, embezzling the money and uh, raising tuition or cutting tuition or whatever. They don't get access to the levers of power. It's a physical structure. It means nothing other than an inconvenience for the people who work in there. So even if the objective was to overtake the capital, it wouldn't have mattered. And they they certified the election later on in the day. If really was necessary, you know what they could have done? They could have certified the election in the parking garage. They could have certified the election in Bethesda or Fairfax, Virginia, or wherever. There was nothing that was going to prevent that. And there was no attempt to prevent it. But they were saying mean things about Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. So what? That's called protected speech. What they said doesn't really matter. What did they do? Did they start ripping the building apart, trying to find either one of those two? No. No, they didn't. They wouldn't have been that hard. Look, the building is big. And the building has a lot of uh, nooks and crannies and places to hide in it. But you won't hide forever, especially from a mob of hundreds of people hell-bent for blood. You wouldn't be able to hide that long. So they would have found them if that was their objective. People got swept up in it. The same mentality that the left uses to justify people throwing Molotov cocktails at police, bricks at police. Well, you know, they just got swept up in the activity. There were some bad people out there, but we don't know who they were. And some good people got swept up in the activity. Yeah, they set a cop on fire. Yeah, but they didn't mean to set the cop on fire. And we don't know which one actually threw the Molotov cocktail. So we can't say that that person is uh, responsible. We can't charge somebody. you, You could, actually. Rico would allow you to do that. If you're participating in a riot and somebody gets killed in that riot, you could be held responsible for that riot, you know, for that that act. But you don't want to. Just admit that you don't want to. Well, just admit that you want to target Trump people. Federal agents with court-ordered search warrants took phones last week from at least two people. Boris Epstein, an in-house counsel who helped who helps coordinate Mr. Trump's legal efforts, and Mike Roman, a campaign strategist who was the director of Election Day operations for the Trump campaign in 2020, people familiar with the investigation set. Now, it seems beyond the pale to go ahead and seize the phones of a lawyer for somebody. There better be some ironclad justification for that, but they don't give it. They don't know. We don't know what was presented to the courts because we only know what is presented to the New York Times, and the New York Times doesn't seem all that interested in what was presented to the courts. And you would think if there were some sort of smoking gun piece of evidence against any of those people, that would be what leaks, rather than we've, we've issued a subpoena for them. We've got, we got a subpoena for them. Well, anybody can get a subpoena. A subpoena is based on you going before a judge and saying, uh, this is why I believe we need this information and why I think it's relevant. It doesn't, there's no cross-examination, there's no critical look at that information. It is straight up your word. 
Okay, all well and good, I suppose. But if you can't make a case with zero opposition, you're really terrible at your job. The Justice Department is bad, but not bad at their job. These lawyers will be able to go and convince a judge, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to look at this because we believe there's a smoking gun in there. Now, one would think that after a certain number of subpoenas have gone out, and there is no smoking gun, there are no charges, there is nothing to come of it other than the Biden administration's ability to snoop through the personal and private conversations of various Trump supporters, mining it for what? Maybe mining it for blackmail material. Who knows? I wouldn't put anything past these people. You'd think at a certain point, I don't know, 40 subpoenas ago, they'd go, well, we've issued a lot of subpoenas. Do you have anything to charge anybody with? If you don't, I'm not going to keep issuing you subpoenas because it goes from a criminal investigation to a fishing expedition pretty quickly after a certain number of subpoenas if you come up empty every single time. You become a little bit obsessed, a little bit Captain Ahabby, going, yeah, but we didn't find anything this time, but the next group. Give us this group and we'll find something. Give us this appeal, give us this subpoenas, and then we'll find something. We'll keep digging and we'll find something. If you are not finding anything that is what you're supposed to be looking for and what you tell the court you're looking for, and theoretically, if you're getting all of these subpoenas, you should be suspecting some heavy criminal activity. If you aren't finding evidence of criminal activity to the point that you can charge anybody, at some point you have to cut bait and run if you're a normal prosecutor. Why? Because a normal prosecutor under normal circumstances would worry about the Justice Department coming in, the Civil Rights Department of the Justice Department coming in and saying, wait a second, you're, you're to the point of abusing people's civil rights, violating people's civil rights. But when it's the Justice Department actually doing that, there's really no chance of the Justice Department coming in. See how that works? See why liberals are so dangerous? All right, I want to shift gears here a little bit to the media. How do you want to put this? I can put this in a family-friendly way. The media patting it. Let's just say patting itself on the back. That's that's the most appropriate thing. I would normally suggest if we were just sitting in a bar having a drink, I would uh, use an analogy that would require yoga or something for them to take care of it. But uh, for the sake of this, we'll say patting themselves on the back. John Avalon is uh, a CNN employee. It's really weird because he is, um, he also, he used to run the, it was, what was it, the Daily Beast? He used to be some muckety-muck and you're like, how do you have two big jobs? Yeah, he's no longer at the Daily Beast or whatever. Oh, no, wait, he's still editor. No, no, he was editor-in-chief of the Daily Beast. Somehow he got downgraded to senior political analyst. Now he's an anchor as well at CNN. And he does the reality check segment. CNN is very proud of their reality check. Now, what do they do in this reality check? They sit around and go, here's what Republicans said. And here's a liberal who says it's garbage. You make up your mind. You've got uh, this Republican taken out of context and not offered the opportunity to explain themselves. And here in studio with me is some leftist who is uh, just going to tell you that they're full of it.
you go, all right, well, that's the state of journalism today. But now they're they're changing it. CNN is trying. That was the that was the old CNN man. That was the old CNN. Now they're the new CNN. Just like the new Coke seems to be judging by their ratings going over just as well as new Coke did. They're trying to be quote unquote more fair. Which is a really weird way for a news organization to put it, especially when that news organization spent the last, I don't know, five years insisting they were fair, right? We're going to be more fair. Wait, you just you just swore to us that you're going to be uh, that you were, were, in fact, fair. Imagine this. You go home and you tell your wife, your husband, look, honey, uh, starting today, I'm going to change the way things are done. I'm going to be way more faithful to you than I have been in the past. I'm going to change things up. I think that it, we need this. Uh, we need, things have to go in a different direction. I'm going to be way more faithful. I'm going to be more faithful than I ever have been. And you go, um, what? I think that would be, the, the response would be a befuddled, what the hell are you talking? Are you going to be more, so you weren't faithful to me? No, 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 no. I was totally faithful before, but now I'm going to be even more faithful. And you go, no, there's, there's, there's only so much faithful. You're faithful or you're not faithful. The way I tried to describe it to my three-year-old, Bailey, the other day, is we were at the, we were in Rehoboth Beach and we were at a pool. And she didn't want to go in the pool because she said she was cold. It would be too cold, blah, blah, blah. She ended up going in on her own. But we're sitting there, and I don't know how it came up, but she said she just wants to get a little, she wants to go in and just get a little wet. And I said, you, you can't go in and just get a little, like you can only get so wet. Once you're soaked, you're soaked. You can't be like going, oh, I, I've jumped into a pool fully clothed in a suit. I'm soaking, dripping wet. And then you get out and somebody dumps a cup of water down your back and you go, hey, man, what are you doing? You're getting my clothes wet. Like, no, you're, you're soaked. You're all the way soaked. You're either faithful or you're not faithful. You're either soaked or you're not soaked. You're wet or you're not wet. You are either uh, fair or you're not fair. You're not going to be more fair now. And then not acknowledge or you know pretend to not acknowledge that in the past we weren't necessarily all that fair. Oopsie. But now we're totally going to be. And then you go about not actually being fair at all anyway. But that's beside the point. John Avalon has this new segment Apparently, it's a new segment. We'll see if it actually lasts. I imagine I imagine the left will not particularly like it. It's called Upon Further Review, and the Upon Further Review is the allegations that a Duke student made, a Duke volleyball student made, that... Uh, during a game at BYU, you know, those horribly racist Mormons, that uh, somebody was in the crowd screaming racial slurs at this black girl on the Duke volleyball team. Nobody could prove it. Nobody could find it. And there's no evidence that anybody else did anything or heard it. Nothing, nothing on tape, whatever. But CNN, I played you last week, was... Um, well, it was CNN was all over the place about how the uh, the story had to be true. 
And this girl was so brave. And this girl was so wonderful. And this girl was such a hero for coming forward. And nobody should have to put up with it. And they're right. Nobody should have to put up with that crap. If it were true, you should absolutely run the person out of the arena. You should humiliate them. Do whatever it is. Like if, if, but think about it logically. Think about it logically. How many times have you seen somebody, anybody, how, how possible... Do you think it is that somebody at a public event would just start screaming racial epithets at uh, at some black girl playing volleyball and nobody around them say anything? Nobody around them notice anything? Nobody around them go, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? Security not come down and say, hey, you got to get the hell out of here. What's wrong with you, dude? It's not 1920 in Democrat controlled Mississippi anymore. Times have changed. But the left doesn't want you to think that times have ever changed. They don't want you to think that times could have changed. For context on this, I want to play you what CNN did last week and how they covered this last week. And what you'll note is even though there was no evidence last week, there is no skepticism in this report. It is a straight-up hero worship of the girl who made the complaint. Uh, Rachel Richardson, the only black starter on the Duke team, says BYU should have done more sooner. Anna, that's the key here. It's not just the abhorrent racist attacks that Rachel Richardson and her fellow African-American volleyball players endured, but it was the fact that she says that the coaching staff of BYU and the officials were notified of it during the game and nothing was done to stop it in its tracks. Her godmother says that Rachel Richardson was called the N-word each time she stepped up to serve. And Richardson herself says that they endured slurs, attacks that progressed into racist threats that made her afraid and made them feel unsafe during the match. And Rachel says, Anna, that she is a proud African-American student athlete at Duke University. She doesn't want pity. She wants people to do better and to be anti-racist. Good for her. Good for her. Good for her. That's what she just wants people to read Robin DiAngelo or Ibram X. Kendi. She wants people to feel guilty based on their skin color. Even though she heard this. She's the only human being who heard. Oh, and well, her godmother backed up her story. Her godmother was several thousand miles away, but that's, that's beside the point. Somehow she felt a strange disturbance in the force. Now, USA Today, the left-wing media does not ever work in a vacuum. It does not ever operate in a vacuum. All the pieces snap into place and into action when necessary. USA Today, the nation's hotel doormat, has... A, had a piece. What day was the day on this? Uh, the ad, the uh, date doesn't. I think they're trying to scrub this. It is by somebody called Mike Freeman. Mike Freeman. Who is Mike Freeman? Mike Freeman is the reporter and editor uh, of sports over there. You want to know what uh, everything you need to know about the, the uh, USA Today and by the left wing media. Mike Freeman is the race and inequality editor for sports. The race and inequality editor for sports. I tell you, so much of sports media is people who hate sports. They just despise sports. And you sit there and you go, why, why would you go into this? You hate it because you want to destroy it. Because they want to, but first of all, they're not good enough to go into real journalism, which is sad. 
And somebody's got to destroy sports. Sports is a meritocracy, ultimately. Meritocracies are bad. They have to be looked at and frowned upon and, and exposed as horrible. That's what you have to do with a meritocracy. Otherwise, people might start thinking that merit matters, that merit is important. You can't, can't have that. How does that help Democrats? So the race and inequality editor, just looking at his... Uh, <laughs> Looking at his past columns, let's see. Too many black people. Serena is more than a hero. She is us. Okay. Uh, what about the white people who think that Serena Williams is a hero? Doesn't matter. It's too many black. This guy's obsessed with race. He does not have a piece about how there's no, not enough white people or Asian people in the NBA or the NFL. Nope. It's all a one-way street with Mike Freeman. Well, his piece is entitled Right-Wing Conspiracy Theory involving duke volleyball player is absurd Mm, it's a right-wing conspiracy so it's sometimes it's something you may not have noticed it's like QAnon or mass voter fraud it's another conspiracy theory this one that duke volleyball player rachel richardson who said she was called multiple racial slurs while playing in the game at byu made the entire thing up My email inbox has been overwhelmed by this conspiracy theory. It's grown across social media. The right wing has spent extensive time promoting it. But before I break down the absurdity of it all, he writes, I want to go to a moment after that game. It happened on CNN when Richardson's father, Marvin, was interviewed by host Brianna Keeler. This moment is blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. She went on to describe to her father what happened. Now, I love it. This is, she described to her father what happened. Okay, she described to her, her father. Didn't, if you heard it, you wouldn't need it described to you. If you were there, you wouldn't need it described to you. But this guy says it shows Rachel's mindset immediately afterward. That moment also led to three different points. Say, just for argument's sake, that Rachel Richardson made up the story. You have to believe that she did knowing she would. Or she was putting on just her volleyball future. Or she was not just, uh, she was putting not just her volleyball future at risk, but her college future at risk as a student at Duke. She'd be forever tarnished as a liar, one of the worst liars. Well, that's not really true. What are ultimately the consequences for these things? Jesse Smollett was, or Smollett was, is still the butt of jokes, but is he hounded forever? No, no, he's still a hero to the left. It doesn't matter. He's he's a minority and he's gay. He's a double minority. He checks two boxes. That gives you a pass for a lot of things. Point two, he says, you have to believe she then lied to her dad, which is possible. Kids lie to their parents. But about this? But also, you'd have to believe that she would then let her father go on CNN and repeat that lie. Is that really beyond the pale? How many times have you seen people who ultimately ended up being liars, hoaxers, fraudsters, or whatever, that have let many, many people, family, friend, go out there and make fools of themselves? I am reminded of William Jefferson Clinton when he was president of the United States. What did he do? He allowed his cabinet to go out there and lie 
on his behalf. He told them, look, what Monica said, what they're saying about me and Monica is an absolute lie. It never happened. Never, never, never happened. And out they came. And Madeleine Albright led the way right after a cabinet meeting. I believe the president. I believe the president. It's so beyond the pale. The president of the United States, a president of the United States, was willing to do that to cabinet officials. Don't you think that a, uh, a young girl would do that to her father? Because I bet you when that young girl told her father, she probably didn't think it was going to really go up to that point. Now imagine you told your father some kind of lie. And then the next thing you know, that lie that you told had blown up to the point that CNN is calling. You're in. You've pushed all your chips into the middle. That you did it on a pair of deuces is on you. That's your fault. To sit there and go, hey, man, um, would you really expect this kid to call her father and say, look, Dad, I know you're going on CNN. You should probably cancel that. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I feel sorry. I lied to you. I lied to you. I made it up. Do you really think that would happen? I don't think that would happen for one second. But this uh, race and sports editor, an equality editor in sports, sorry, he's not even a sports editor, uh, doesn't. Couldn't even fathom it. What the conspiracy theories essentially all come down to, he says, is one thing. No one heard Richardson being called the slur. The belief suddenly is that microphones pick up every word in the arena or student section, or that cameras are all-seeing and all-knowing, like mini one-eyed gods. you got to love that. There's no evidence whatsoever. But the absence of evidence doesn't mean there's no evidence. Just one set of ears having heard this is enough for the left. The thing about this story, uh, this incredible story, that I knew would take the direction of she's lying, but am still shocked it did, is that I believe Rachel Richardson. I don't believe anyone prematurely backed her. I don't think she's lying. I think she's telling the truth. If I'm proven wrong, I'll be the first in line to say so. We'll highlight that line. If proven wrong, I'll be the first in line to say so and write that. But I've seen nothing to show she made it up. You know who else believes her? South Carolina women's basketball coach Dawn Staley, who canceled her program series against BYU. Okay. You're citing as evidence somebody else who wasn't there, saying nobody witnessed this, but you know who believes her? Somebody else who didn't witness this. It's not exactly the strongest case in the world, I would argue. So you got USA Today defending, insist. in fact, they're not defending, they're insisting that she's telling the truth. Now, there's no way for this uh, Mike Freeman to know that she's telling the truth. It's just his spidey sense is tingling. It's just that he believes it has to be. It has to be true. It must be true. It's wish fulfillment. That's all it is. And so uh, that's enough for these leftists. And he goes on, and I I love this thing because it has to be about politics. Everything about these people is about Donald Trump. Everything is about Donald Trump, no matter who they are. He writes, uh, you know know who believes her? South Carolina women's basketball coach. Yeah, Staley believes her, or, or she wouldn't put her reputation or that of her program on the line. 
Yes, she would. Why not? What are the consequences if she's wrong? What are the consequences if she's wrong? There's no consequences if she's wrong. <laughs> so in many ways, the story is about race and how black people have to constantly prove we are not criminals or liars, that we don't commit mass, mass voter fraud, or, we, or that we get jobs only because of affirmative action. We have to prove, as Richardson does, that we heard what we heard, that we saw what we saw. Hmm. He goes, yet this story is remarkable for another reason. Most people calling Richardson a liar are from the right-wing media ecosystem or have MAGA in their Twitter bios. He cites nothing. He just declares it to be. These are the same people who for five years ignored facts. They believe that Hollywood liberals ate babies or that Parkland students were crisis actors or that JFK is alive or is it RFK? Something or someone with a K in it. They ignored the 30,000 lies told by the man they worship. They believe the Russia investigation was a hoax, that COVID was, that global warming is. You can see this is, of course, you know, a sports editor. Well, an editor in the sports department. I forget. He's the, uh, he's the race editor over there. <laughs> but suddenly they're now fact hunters. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he concludes it this way. None of her accusers will have to answer the most important question of all. Why would she make it up? Why would a sophomore majoring in neuroscience at Duke make it up? Go back to that night. Richardson said she heard racial abuse. She and teammates went to the Duke coaches. Police were moved near the Duke bench. BYU coaches were made aware. That night, after the game, she called her father to tell him what happened. Soon after, she put out a statement. But then uh, she then went on ESPN to say the same thing. So at this point, according to conspiracy theorists, she lied to her teammates, her coaches, the BYU coaches, the BYU athletic director, the police, her godmother, her father, the world, because of her statement, ESPN, then allowed her, to, then allowed her father to lie to a CNN audience. What's more likely, all of that or that she's telling the truth? Well, they always discount the one possibility that I'd be willing to give this girl the sort of pseudo-benefit of the doubt. There's a possibility she just was wrong. Maybe she thinks she heard it. It'd be weird if she thought she heard it and, didn't, and said things during the game and no other human being heard it, but she described it as being constant and ongoing. That would just be weird to me. But this jackass at the uh, USA Today has no idea. He wasn't there. He doesn't care. He's a race peddler. That's where he make that's why he's got a job. That's the job is designed for this. Race and inequality editor for sports. What else are you supposed to do with that? Well, a funny thing happened. CNN then decided to do some journalism after reporting it. USA Today has yet to do this. And um this guy he says he'll be the first to correct the record, Mike Freeman, if it turns out that she's she's lying. But you'd have to look to find out whether or not she's lying. CNN, in their fact-check thingy, they, uh, upon further review thing, they don't say she's lying. In fact, they almost act as though she's disconnected from the entire thing. It's weird. It's very weird. 
But uh, they at least get some kind of credit, I suppose, for when all else has failed and a week later, more than a week later, actually, deciding to do some journalism on something that they already reported. So this is John Avalon's his, uh, segment, it's apparently new, Upon Further Review. We're, we're starting something a little different today. It's a new segment that updates the initial official version of the story once more facts come in. It's a form of journalistic accountability, and we're going to call it Upon Further Review. Upon Further Review. Of course, this should be what journalists do before, before the other CNN segment I played you. They should have probably done a little bit of review, a little bit of journalism there. But, you know, I guess better late than, than never. CNN has been really big in the never business. So better late than never is something new for them. Those muscles have atrophied and what have you. But you got to admire that. We're going to do this upon further review used to be called the editorial process or the editing process or the fact-checking. You know, you wouldn't just put this stuff out there, but meh, what are you going to do? He continues. Now, volleyball is rarely the source of serious controversy, but it went straight to the front of the outrage Olympics two weeks ago when a Duke starter named Rachel Richardson made the explosive accusation that she and other black teammates were subjected to racist heckling while playing a game against Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University offered a wholehearted apology BYU Athletics pronounced a zero-tolerance policy against racism. They banned a fan who'd been identified as making the racist slurs. They also launched an internal investigation. But that's where the narrative started to fall far short of the initial indignation. Because when BYU released its findings, after reviewing all available video and audio recordings and reaching out to more than 50 folks who attended the game, including Duke personnel and athletes, they stated that they had not found any evidence to corroborate the allegation that fans engaged in racial heckling or uttered racial slurs. They also invited anyone with, quote, evidence contrary to our findings to come forward. No one did. No one did. Now, you would think at some point they would go, you know, uh, we, we have no ev- At some point, the lack of evidence becomes something, doesn't it? No one backing it up. No teammates coming out and saying, hey, I, I heard this as well. Not a single one. No one in the crowd. No one on the team. No one on the, the coaching staff. Nothing. If she told them during the game that this was going on, you would think people's ears would be tuned in to that, to try and find it, to try and look for that SOB who was doing it, right? None of it. None of it. Not a single human being has come forward and said, yeah, the guy next to me, he was screaming some things. I thought it was wildly inappropriate. Made me horribly uncomfortable, but he was a big dude and I thought he would beat me up, so I didn't say anything. No one. Police were in the area. If it was constant, one would think that they would have heard it. Well, police are racist. Blah, blah, blah. The telltale sign really is at the end of the CNN report where she says she just wants people to be anti-racist. It's not enough to be not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. That's the difference. You have to be a left-wing activist. It's not enough to just not be one yourself. You need to join the, uh, the squad hunting down anybody or anything that is. That's the way the left works. It's a weird perversion, but that's how the left works. You're not, it's not enough that you're not if you aren't with them, you might as well be. 
If you aren't voting with them, you might as well be. You're part of the problem if you're not part of the solution. That's what the left says. Unless, of course, the problem is leftism, then they don't want a solution. They don't, they don't even acknowledge that's a problem. Just very, very telling about these people. CNN's little fact check continues. Now, healthy skepticism is always a virtue, but this doesn't read like a cover-up. Instead, it feels like there was a rush to judgment because of a well-intentioned impulse to believe the Duke players' accusations. But when investigations turn up a very different fact pattern, it's incumbent upon everyone to acknowledge it and adjust. Everyone to acknowledge and adjust. Why not just call it out? Why not just do... You know, all of this could have been avoided, by the way, if CNN had just done some journalism beforehand. In that report I played for you, there was no skepticism. There was no mention of, you know, nobody else heard this. Uh, a review by BYU has not found anything. There's nothing. There's no evidence. No, no, not a single teammate has come in to back up Rachel Richardson. Nothing. There is none of that. It is her word is gospel truth and any and everything else to the contrary or that doesn't doesn't back it up doesn't exist. It's not that they're wrong. It's that it doesn't exist. See, because if they had to acknowledge it, then they'd have to try to keep the narrative going that this woman, this girl is a hero. She's just a hero. And by, look at, listen to her. She's telling people that they got to be actively anti-racist. That's a, that's a hero. Golf clap for her. To continue with that would require an acknowledgement, uh, a refutation of evidence or lack of evidence to the contrary. So they couldn't acknowledge it. They can't acknowledge anything that wasn't part of it. The only person cited in that entire piece from CNN the first time was Rachel Richardson. And it was done so in a way that you'd almost thought, you know, oh, I hope someday she runs for president. Everybody on the left, this is where CNN is kind of funny. We're trying to be more fair, more fair, more fair. This is the network that gave you Michael Avenatti. This is the network where Uncle Fester Brian Stelter is sitting there going, "You're gonna. The reason I think you're a serious contender for the Democratic nomination in 2020 is because of how much media you get." While they're giving her all, giving him all the media in the world, and ignoring all the allegations against him. Those allegations against him were out there; they just weren't helpful at the time, so they ignored them. Then he gets arrested, and then suddenly they go, I don't even know who that, Michael Evan, Evanetti? Is it, how do you, is it spaghetti? How do you spell this last name? How do you pronounce that? I don't know. And you sit there, and you go, these people are a damn disgrace. But you only say that because these people are a damn disgrace. When everything else fails, liberals will sometimes go about doing the right thing. They weren't. They weren't wrong. Fidelity to the facts is all that we as journalists and citizens should ask. It's understandable that there's a desire to believe people when they say they've been victimized. But the accusations have to be backed up by facts. And when the facts don't fit, upon further review, we need to set the record straight with as much intensity as the initial reports. Upon, see how he got the, uh, the name of the segment in there? Upon further review, wah, wah, wah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Upon further review. How about you do that further review beforehand? How about you do, because that further review is journalism. That further review is what journalism used to be. It used to be called the editing process where they're going, okay, somebody made this allegation. Is there any proof of this allegation? 
Used to be that for there to be anonymous sources in a news story, you had to have two anonymous sources that were disconnected from one another. They couldn't have turned you onto it. It's like you're going, hey, I, I got proof against this thing, and, and you can talk to my buddy Earl, and he'll back me up. But don't use either of our names. That wasn't good enough. That was not acceptable back in the day. Now it's one, according to a person with knowledge on the subject. Oh, okay, so we're just supposed to take your word for it. One, one person... You don't acknowledge what position they have, what they do. They might have an axe to grind. They might have a, uh, an agenda to advance. All of these things, and, and what happens? Nothing. Nothing, no accountability, no nothing. No examination, no consideration, nothing. It's complete and total garbage. CNN will eventually do the right thing when all other avenues, all other op- options are exhausted but that's it that's really it they don't get credit for eventually doing the right thing (laughs) i mean i guess you give them partial credit congratulations you could no longer deny the liberal narrative could no longer be sustained and so therefore we acknowledge that you did the right thing eventually I don't know. They'll probably win an Emmy for it. I got a weird kind of question just because I'm looking at my iPhone calendar. Uh, The 15th, which is Thursday, starts the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month. How do you do Hispanic Heritage Month in the middle of a month? And I looked it up. Hispanic Heritage Month is from September 13th to October 15th. That technically two months? Isn't that how that works? People need to make up their these leftists when they do this sort of crap. They need to just just pick a month. Just pick a month. But no, no, no. We want we demand two months. Why? I don't know why. Why not? <laughs> why is that on my calendar and my iPhone? I don't know. But Apple decides that I need to know every sort of weird ethnic holiday that's out there. When it's just like, what the hell is El Fatur or whatever? Anyway, I don't know. I don't care. Moving on to the uh, next bit here is uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things happening down in Florida that we uh, should talk about because it's indicative of what's going on in the Democrat Party in general. Charlie Crist is running for governor of Florida. He was once the governor of Florida. He's just a weird-looking dude. He looks like a used car salesman, a retired used car salesman. He used to sell high-end used cars. But... Um, he was the governor. He was a conservative Republican governor. Boy, howdy, he'd tell you how conservative and Republican he was. And then uh, something changed. He left office. He ran for the Senate against Marco Rubio. The people chose Rubio over him. And suddenly this stalwart conservative became a liberal Democrat on every issue. Every issue, I get it that over time you're going to change your opinion on a couple of things, but every issue down the line, and then he got elected to the House of Representatives as a Democrat, which is weird. I guess it's a transition, and Democrats love transitions, so what are you going to do? Now he's, I don't know if he's resigned from his seat in the House. I don't, I can't remember. Somebody did. I think it was him. But now he's running for governor against Ron DeSantis. And I can just tell you that it's not going to work out. It shouldn't work out very well. Never say never. Anything can happen in politics. But it shouldn't work out very well for him because the people of Florida looked at him multiple, multiple times and said, bleh, no. 
So now he's just at the point where he is straight up trying to do as much damage to Charlie Crist or to uh, Ron DeSantis as possible. That's all he's got. That's literally all he's got. It's all he can do. He probably won't win. And by doing so, because this is all about 2024, in doing so, they will try to do as much damage to Ron DeSantis in preparation for 2024 as humanly possible. Now, the damage that Charlie Crist is doing and is capable of doing is minimal because the guy's not particularly liked, and uh, nor is he taken seriously. And the people who are looking at Charlie Crist going, wow, that guy makes a good point, are people who would never vote for Ron DeSantis anyway. So, I mean take it for what it's worth. But yesterday at a fundraiser, Charlie Crist did a double whammy just to show you how insane he is. In this clip you're going to hear, and it's it's not difficult to hear, but it's not super easy to hear. He talks about how civility is very important. Civility is very important. And then he calls Ron DeSantis Ron DeSatan. Almost in the same breath. I believe he inhales a little bit to get the full syllables out. But almost in the same breath. He follows it up with Ron DeSantis is Satan. Now, what you can't tell from audio in uh, this clip is that when he talks about his own name, he points to the sign for Charlie Crist behind him. Now, he's just compared Ron DeSantis to Ron DeSatan. He's horrible, and I'm this, and he points to his name. He's comparing himself to Jesus Christ. Christ is Christ without the H. That's what he's doing. It's a level of insanity and confusion where you're sitting there going, what the hell are you doing? You resigned a house seat to run in this race, a race you're not going to win, you're never going to win, barring you know some massive thing happening. And all you're doing is because the first day uh, when he right after he won his primary, he went on television and said, if you're a supporter of Ron DeSantis, I don't want your vote. You're on the evil side. You stay over there. I don't want you. I don't want to represent you. I don't want to be your. I don't want this, that and the other thing. And you're like, what the hell? What the hell are you talking about? And like, this is how unhinged the left is. But listen to how you think you can't get any crazier than telling half the state you don't want their vote and they can go to hell. Well, you can if you're Charlie Crist, sun-baked Charlie Crist. Anyone to know what the colors are? Look at that sign right there. Mm-hmm. You see the colors, the blue and the yellow? Does that remind you of any country that's in the news right now? Yeah, we're fighting for freedom, too. We're fighting for freedom, too. And, and Zelensky, President Zelensky, is amazing. Amazing, Renee, you mentioned it. And, and the courage and the strength and the decency that he shows. This is an election about decency, about being decent to one another, about being kind to everyone. It's called a Florida for all. You know, we got a divider on the other side and a uniter over here. You know, some people call him to Satan. (laughs) Have you heard that? One of the nicer ones. Indeed it is. I'm trying to be nice. The Satan versus that. Oh, think about it. Boom. No, we got a great race ahead. We do. And I'm excited about it. And, and the choice is crystal clear. There's no question about it. It is crystal clear. He's bad. We're good. <laughs> He's bad. We're good. He's the Satan. And I'm the Jesus. Good Lord. 
God, Lord. No, no, no. We, we need to be civil, civil. We need to be nice. We need to be one Florida. Not like that Satan SOB and all of his supporters I don't want any support of. They can all go straight to hell. Straight to hell in a handbasket, I tell you. The monsters. You have to wonder sometimes if these people hear themselves. And then you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't blame them if they tuned themselves out because most of the things they say are incredibly stupid or just evil. So uh, also down in Florida, by the way, is Marco Rubio. He's running for United States Senate. He's running for re-election against Val Demings, who is a member of the House of Representatives. And uh, she left the House of... She's leaving the House to run for the Senate. It's amazing to me is how the left finds what you're about to hear to be controversial. The recount, which if you subscribe to Showtime... You are subsidizing the recount. They are funded by Showtime. Um, and it is just as left-wing as the day is long. They tweeted out this clip. They're the ones who brought uh, publicity to this because they think it's a winner for Democrats. They locked in a tight race with Val Demings. Senator Marco Rubio trots out a transphobic attack on the CDC for using the term pregnant people. It's now transphobic to sit there and say, you're wildly stupid if you use the term Pregnant people, because who are those pregnant people? Women. They're women. This is what Marco Rubio actually said. See if you find this being offensive. Today we are subjected to things like there are such things as pregnant men. As of, what is it, almost 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time? Are we on Standard or Daylight Time? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, As of almost 10 o'clock today, as far as I know, Every single human being that's ever been born was born of a biological woman. And yet we have not just commentators, not just professors. We have the Centers for Disease Control. We have the, uh, some, the, the prominent public health agency in America who insists on using the term pregnant people. Well, I can assure you that that's never happened. That's transphobic, apparently, according to the left. Can you imagine that? What about your mother? Oh, you're transphobe. Don't you mean your pregnant person? The person who identified as a woman? No, I didn't uh, pop out of somebody who identified as a woman. I popped out of a woman. That's the way biology works. All right. I I don't want to see it, but I'd love to hear about a man who gave birth and uh, pushed a baby through the urethra. That would be wildly painful, and I imagine they'd die. I imagine there'd have to be a C-section if that were the case. But this is what they think is a winner down in Florida. Oh, he thinks pregnant people is a stupid thing to say. Well, he only does that because it's a stupid thing to say. All right? It's a stupid thing to say. I'm not going to pervert reality for your political agenda. I'm sorry. Well, some people are upset. They're going to be... I don't care. I don't care. Lastly, I want you to hear about something else. It's, uh, Ukraine. Do you, you sitting around, you glued to the TV for the latest news about Ukraine? You're probably not. But over at PBS, they are, and they want to and support the idea of us sending $5 billion a month over to Ukraine to keep their government, to pay their regular bills, not for military aid. In addition to military aid, we got to come up with a whole bunch more money because... Ukraine is just so damned important or something. Ukraine's government needs at least $5 billion a month just to make up for budget shortfalls. Are you getting enough 
economic support from the West separate from all that military support? Not enough. Right you are, we need up to five, six billion uh, per month uh, just in order to have our payment system, social payments, salaries to the soldiers who are fighting on the forefront. It's very important for the world now to help us financially and economically and, uh, you know, helping us to win. If we will not stop the aggression here in Ukraine, it will spread, definitely. Do you think the world needs to be prepared to support Ukraine's government with $5 billion a month indefinitely? Yeah. Do you think the West will really step up and do that? Well, uh, if not the West, then who? I mean, uh, we, are, we, we have to be united. And it's in everyone's interest for Ukraine to win and to be successful later on. $5 billion a month to one of the most corrupt governments on the face of the earth. Putting aside the totalitarian instincts of Zelensky and outlawing opposition parties, shutting down media outlets, things like that. It's not the bastion of uh, loving, caring open society that the left would have you believe. But putting that aside, times of war, blah, blah, blah. Talking about the nonstop corruption and ripping off of the Ukrainian people and the ripping off of foreign aid for years and years and years that has been going on since the the end of the Cold War. These are the same, it's the same country, the same government, not the same leaders, but the same government entities that uh, enabled boundless corruption that gave Hunter Biden millions of dollars. And now we're supposed to cut them a check for $5 billion, the West in general, every month to keep them afloat so they can pay their soldiers? Is there no money coming into the Treasury in Ukraine? Is there nothing? One would think in time of war, prioritizing paying your soldiers would be at the top of the list, but apparently not. They can't do it or they won't do it, one of the two, unless somebody else picks up the check. Well, hell, I'll eat any meal anywhere if somebody else wants to pick up the check. It's such a complete and total scam, and they want this to go on indefinitely. Why? Because why not? If you're sitting there, and how much of this money, remember CBS News had a report, then they retracted it because it was outrage. They had a report that like one in three dollars was making it to the actual front, and the rest of it was going in places that they didn't know where it was going. Where is the rest of the foreign aid going? Where's the rest of the military aid going? They don't know. They don't care. The leadership of Ukraine doesn't care. They can always scream, it's a an emergency, and the people of Ukraine don't know what their government is doing, or they should anyway, but they don't. Total corruption, not without accountability immediately should they get a penny more. But Joe Biden wants to keep cutting them checks. Why? Because who knows? Maybe he's getting a slice. Is his beak getting wet? 10% for the big guy? Who knows? We're out of time for today. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for everything. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Have a great one.